Hi everyone, welcome to Reality Tonight. I'm your host, Rit. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I've got a packed show for you today because we'll be talking uh, Atlanta Housewives, Jersey Housewives, and I have a few news items. One of them is super weird, but I just had to, I just had to bring it up on this. Uh, okay, so this is a very big job, of course, so I had to call in this time major reinforcements. Very exciting, but before I introduce my guest, don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Reality Tonight. If you uh, could be so kind as to hit subscribe, maybe leave a review, that would be awesome. Okay, now that we have that boring housekeeping out of the way, today's guest is a big one. She hosts a very well-known podcast called Reality Life with Kate Casey. She is someone to whom J-Lo owes a heaping debt of gratitude. Everyone, please welcome Kate Casey. Thank you. I mean, I think so, but you know, I didn't get any gifts. I'll say that. Well, listen, anything is possible. I, I have so many questions about that specific uh, situation. But first, I just want to say what I really appreciate about you is that uh, what I think we have in common is that we approach our love for reality TV from a genuine place. And I think we both uh, really value what these people bring to us on the shows. And we don't sort of do that thing of like, well, there's scripted, which is real TV. And then there's the guilty pleasure of reality TV. I think we both kind of have that shared respect for it. Is that accurate, you think? Well, of course. Yeah. I always call myself a cultural anthropologist. <laughs> I love that. Do you, does it bother you when people talk down on unscripted TV? No, because invariably I feel like once I start the conversation, they say, oh, you know what? Uh, it usually starts with, I just don't have time to watch television, which is amusing to say to somebody like myself who has like two jobs and is raising five children. Like, mm, especially when you start talking to them about things they like to watch. And then it's like, well, I like Vanderpump rules. I like the bachelor. I like 90 day fiance. I'm like, I thought that you had no time to watch television right? and you didn't like unscripted television. Oh. And I also like that documentary on QAnon. I'm like, okay. All right. right. Sure. Yeah. And by the way, bachelor and 90 day fiance, those are the biggest time commitments you can make on TV. Cause it's right. like two hours a piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Uh, and that's it's rich. And, and they, and then the people who watch 90 day are, are consuming outside content. So they're looking at Instagram accounts and listening to podcast, podcasts about 90 day. But, but, so it's, that's always amusing to me. Like I'm not really into unscripted TV, but then they're, they know everything about 90 day fiance. It's like, right. it reminds me of when, um, way before this, I had a Facebook page about celebrity gossip and when someone would say, you know, I just, I'm not, I don't really keep up. I don't, but then they had a whole opinion about like Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I thought you had no opinions about it. Okay, mm -hmm. sure. Yep. Uh, as somebody who, because you talk about so many shows, have you ever had, in your experience, is there a certain show's uh, fan base that you find to be the most kind of vitriolic and um, Probably Housewives. Housewives is pretty awful. I do think that the 90 day fiance, even though they're infinitely the, some of the worst people that appear on television, <laughs> that collectively, I think the audience is more of agreement. Like we understand that most of the people on the show are desperate for either fame or they're desperate to keep this relationship going. So there's a level of, um, respect for the process. Whereas housewives, people are 
really vicious. Like mm-hmm. you look through the comments on the Instagram and it's like, she's, you know, she's boring, fire her. She's so ugly. I hate her. Get it, get new hair extensions, blah, blah. They feel like they can really rip apart somebody on housewives. I think more than other shows. I also think people this season with a bachelor were probably pretty hellacious too. See, I haven't, I did a couple of seasons of the bachelor as and watch them. And I, it's, there's so much B-roll and the sweeping shots of like whatever town they're in. It's like, if you cut all that out, you have like a 40 minute show. And so I can't get over <laughs> yeah. that. Like my time is just being <laughs> wasted with all that stuff. But is it, is there's a season on right now? I don't even know. There's a season on right now. Their season ended, but there are all these race issues. They had to get rid of the host. Um, right. There's just a lot there. One thing I don't like about Housewives is the, the shots of them eating or the moments where like, I'm going to have an avocado toast and I'm going to have a Bloody Mary. Like, why is that important? And some people will say, well, I like to hear what they're ordering. I'm like, but how, what is that? Why is that important to the story of this episode? So you know that that was, a, you probably know this, that that was an ask from the very top of Bravo, right? To put in the orders. That's been it's, like- But a, it's terrible. I think like, the it's idea- gotta, It's got to end. It's stupid. I think the idea is that as part of the whole aspirational aspect of these shows, it's like, well, what are the rich people eating and what do they order when they go out? Which, yeah, you know, maybe the first season, but like it's right. been too many seasons. It's like, it's dead. It's dead in the water. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we could get so much more. I mean, that's like a good and by the way, and a half. It's not even aspirational anymore when all the women and the real housewives of Orange County rent their houses and they have leased cars. Well, we know that now we're savvy yeah. to it. So it's dumb, this whole aspirational idea. It's no longer aspirational living for certain franchises. It's just not. Yeah, that's true. And I also think now, I mean, they've had to really sort of evolve with the time and sort of just like reference the fact that they are on a show. Atlanta's been doing it a lot this season as well with the, the conversation with production before the Bola situation, covering up the cameras. There was a yoga scene with Cynthia and Kenya where Kenya told Cynthia, if you weren't on a show, would you still want to get married on 10, 10, 20? And I, I do like that they're starting to do that because it's yeah. like, okay, we know, we know they know like that there are cameras around, like, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of, so I do like that we're sort of moving to this, this new stage of like, we all know what's going on here. We all know this is a show, but yeah, accordingly, maybe it's time to drop some of those old uh, leftover pieces of the original storytelling. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch down real quick on the situation, uh, the sort of whole Danny, Madison, JLo thing, only because you're not, the point of your podcast isn't, you're not really someone looking for gossip and the scoop. I don't really think that's your approach. So this sort of just kind of happened, right? Yeah. From from listening to, to the clip, I remember it was sort of Danny just kind of let it slip that Madison had been texting A-Rod, where up until that point, we didn't know who this MLB player was. What was the aftermath of that like for you? and your podcast and the response. It was a weird day. Um, I knew when she made the benign comment that that was great because I said, you know, I was thinking no one could really confirm who it was. Mm -hmm. So I remember uh, the episode hit at midnight, but I sent a a friend in the media, uh, like a heads up email, like this is coming out and it is confirmed. And by five o'clock that morning, Instagram accounts had picked it up. And you're excited because your episode's going viral. But at the same time, the person I interviewed was my friend. And I was worried about, and she's been very honest, even on the show, that saying that certain things, which she said something like, a ripple for me in the ocean is, or a ripple in the ocean for other people is like a hurricane to me. 
So I was very mindful that this might be unsettling for her because as she said, it was a very benign comment, um, but it was going to, it could possibly rattle her. And there was a point in the day where she was beginning to get very rattled and I was sensitive to that. So there was like a three hour window where she called and said, the production company is upset because I said that, but you know, she has been open about it in town and um, you know, people have kind of been, there were rumors about it already. And then by five o'clock that afternoon, Madison came out and confirmed it. So then I put that, the, the, the clip back in, but you know, it was a little unnerving. I'm not going to lie. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get shot by a JLo sniper in the street for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but it got kind of wild and, you know, it was tricky because you're also, for me, my relationships with production companies and networks is really important because I feel like I'm a partner to them in some way, even though, you know, not on paper, but I want to help them promote their shows and their talent. And I would never want somebody to think that I was putting a talent in precarious position or, you know, snooping. But the truth was, it's my friend and it's a casual conversation and it came out. And so, you know, it is what it is. So it was a very unnerving day and yeah, it was wild, but you know, as a podcast host, your guest is always of utmost importance. So I did worry most of the day about how she was handling it because it really, it was all of a sudden it was the front page story of the New York post and it was, it was everywhere. And then people were saying, well, this is Danny's retaliation because Madison made a comment about an STD. And it's like, that's not her mode. That's not her. Mo She's not like that. Right. So then you get into the, for, for the talent, it's like that someone's misrepresenting a comment, benign comment I made into something that was tactical, but wasn't. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was wild. Yeah. But I will say this, Yes. not to toot my own horn, but the numbers for the ratings did a lot better between the Thursday of the reunion one. And then my episode came out Wednesday, the reunion two went up. So, so, you're, so you're a kingmaker, basically. <laughs> I would think yeah. <laughs> that somebody would send me a fruit basket. Somebody, J-Lo, production company, Bravo. I mean, things should be coming your way. Guys, Kate's waiting. Uh, but I and like the network never even acknowledged it. I think that's... to this day, I've never been asked to be on Watch What Happens Live. How about that? Really? Never. Well, maybe you want to wait anyway until it's no longer a Zoom situation and you can actually physically be there because I think that's maybe I don't know I don't think it's going to happen for me probably why not I just don't think that Bravo the network really thinks I'm value I think that they don't really see the value in podcasts which I have to tell you is not what other networks are like other networks really embrace podcasts and are really mm -hmm. great but I just for the Bravo network they've never really seen podcasts as important yeah, it's interesting. I've had that experience too, where you really have to go through some hurdles to have someone from Bravo on your podcast. And, you know, I think there's, there's this complicated thing of they don't want news, they don't want story to break before the shows have aired, which like, that's all become so messy now, because now you have the cast tweeting well ahead of time, people are picking right. up, people are picking up story points and twists. I mean, the whole Beverly Hills, Denise Richards thing, you saw that, how that played out months before the show even mm -hmm. aired. And I know that's got to be very frustrating, but I think there's a way to adapt and to accept the pod, like, you know, podcasters, like we can be very valuable and we can help, like you're saying, help really get and the proof is in the pudding with those Southern charm ratings you're talking about. So, you know, I, I hope that there's some sort of 
their people working on it to figure out how to best utilize podcasts because kind of making it difficult for us and shove, you know, kind of shoving us to the side. I don't know that that's really going to help because I mean, and you again can attest to this in the last year, am I wrong about this? So many new Bravo podcasts came out during the pandemic. I feel like Mm -hmm. the field Mm -hmm. has gotten so much bigger and Mm -hmm. there's, there's a smart way, I think, to have a symbiotic relationship with both uh, Bravo podcasts and the shows themselves. So I'm, I'm curious to see, I think they are coming around to it a little more. It's been a little easier for me, but you know, you have to submit the questions ahead of time. Um, I had a question for Deandra <laughs> when I had Deandra on a few weeks ago. Uh, the only question that they pulled was, you know, she lives in Dallas. I am someone who loves the 1960s and JFK. And I wanted to know her opinion on JFK's assassination. And they were like, cut that. <laughs> Why? That's like such an interesting question. Right. Like, and that's my whole point too, is I want to get to know these people outside of the drama. Like, oh, you're fighting with Carrie and stuff. That stuff is, is really fun too. But I want to like, I want to get inside the person's head outside of that because. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so they Makes just. Makes them more relatable. Then someone's like, oh my God, I didn't even think, uh, I didn't even have interest in Dallas, but now I heard that person. They're really interesting. So you, I'm going to check out the show. Absolutely. And you never know what people are going to relate to. I mean, what if she had her own like conspiracy theory about it? It was just a silly icebreaker question that I guess they didn't care for. But Anyway, uh, if you're listening, Bravo, we're very grateful. But all right, so (laughs) it's time to talk some news. Okay, so this first item is not quite Bravo related, but it has to do with the Cinnamon Toast Crunch guy. So all last week, we were hearing about uh, the guy who found the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. His name is Jensen Karp. He found the shrimp tails and apparently some floss in a Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Super gross, but a fun, distracting story to, you know, keep us entertained in between work zooms and everything fine the first twist came when it ended up being that he was Topanga from Boy Meets World's husband oh my god that's so cool so random fine as the days went on and I just discovered this yesterday a bunch of people have come out and a lot of former girlfriends have come out and said that they had extremely abusive experiences with him and he was very controlling made them feel horrible about themselves and then a lot of former co-workers came out and said that he's incredibly narcissistic uh, this this quote, I think, kind of sums it up really well. So he also is involved in the art world, right? So this quote says, he's like the Loki in the gallery, comedy, and writing world. He's not untalented, but he's not talented enough to be doing what he's doing because he doesn't put the work in. He's not a hard worker. He takes, 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 and then moves on. Uh, they say he's very charming, and the charm and the moxie are disorienting at first. You kind of get lost in it, then you peel back the layers, and you realize that he is there to take what you let him take until you're left with nothing. This to me was such a wild, unexpected way for this story to, to play yeah. out. Now, now that we know all of these, and these are all accounts of people who know him, but do you think that he made up the Cinnamon Toast Crunch situation? Absolutely. You do? Totally. The minute it happened, I was like, this dude's totally lying. And then yeah. people buy this shit. I'm like, this story is so ridiculously untrue. And then I'm not surprised that once somebody goes viral people get annoyed because everybody basically is on an even playing field now we're all content creators in our own way it doesn't matter if you have a podcast an instagram tiktok account whatever it is and i think people get alarmed once they open an account to realize how hard it is to promote something to get attention to get eyeballs to get ears and so when we watch somebody go viral humans are like, why did that person go viral and not me? And then they kind of want to peel back the layer. And some, for some people, once you peel that layer back, you know, you find out the person's a fantastic person, they're charitable and you want to celebrate them. For some people, 
it gives other people license to take that person down. That's the problem with the, with the world we're living in now is this in, intense pressure to go viral. And then this frustration with the people that do go viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of a very predictable cycle of, you know, day one, you explode, everyone's talking about it, then the memes come out, then people start speaking up, well, I had this experience with this person. And now, I mean, by the end of this week, I imagine this whole thing will, will just be over, right? It's, this is just sort of emblematic of, of this kind of viral yeah. culture, like you're saying. Well, he came out and said before, I think right before all of these, uh, all of his former girlfriends and everyone else came out, he said, I have a career outside of being the stupid shrimp guy that would be on the line, as you know, including being an Emmy nominated writer. I wouldn't do this. This is about the implication that people saying that he made it up. I wouldn't do this. That's very annoying. And I don't want to be part of that. Here's what I thought was kind of weird is he actually uh, produced a movie that had the word shrimp in the title. I mean, that was so. Come on. Like, I just... like why, why are people so surprised that there are horrible people that are manipulative? Of course. He's like, look at the, look at the phraseology of that statement. I'm an mm-hmm. Emmy award winning writer. Who says that? Mm-hmm. I know. And I also think this is, this is a deeply insecure person who was calculated. And I also think if, you know, if these allegations are true, he must have zero self-awareness to not realize that this was going to come out. I mean, he's talking to the New York times and well, he's fully putting himself out there. He's a diabolical person. Those He's a are narcissist. Yeah. Those are the best people that we like to watch on television. I know it's true. I'm gonna. I I I submit to you that probably 80 plus percent of the housewives have borderline personality disorders or histrionic personality disorders. Well, uh, there was. Yeah, it is interesting. The only one I've ever met in person was Luann after one of her cabaret shows and. The way I've told the story many times, sorry, listeners, but the way she was talking to me, it was like she wasn't actually seeing me. It was a very mm-hmm. odd experience. You know, it was like very performative for a crowd that wasn't really there. And I imagine that's what like a, <laughs> that's what a Ramona is like or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know. And then, then there gets to be a point where you're like, when is this not fun anymore? Like with Ramona, the last season, I was kind of like, oh, this isn't as fun as it used to be because. Yeah, it starts to feel a little like, oh, there's actually something there where over a decade later, we're still going through the same, like. Most certainly. And I think living in a, a global pandemic where people felt disconnected because they hadn't seen their relatives for a year, they hadn't been to an office, they could, had to go to the grocery store with gloves on and masks, that connectiveness and authenticity were, were more important than it had ever been. So to see somebody who had been on television for 10 plus years, who didn't seem to change evolve in the same way that everybody else in the world has and to talk about really boring superficial things the show wasn't modernizing Mm -hmm. and that's why you see the bachelor stumbling this year because they have not modernized the show so a lot of these franchises have to modernize now conversely i would say real housewives in new york they have ebony um who's joining the cast and that is a much more realistic window into what it must be like to be a certain age, a professional woman in New York City mm-hmm. versus what it's been looking like, which is like all white women. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like the, the most populated city, I would assume in the country. Yeah. And it's all white women that are That's like so- 55 plus who basically are just Instagram influencers who do cameos. Like that's not a modern show anymore. 
it, it it has felt very, I've talked about this before, it just feels so strange to me that it took so many years and an outcry of people saying, hello, you need to fix this for them to finally be like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 here's someone, you know, and it does feel like on one hand it should be celebrated, but also it's like, please don't hurt yourselves patting yourself on the back. Like this should have happened a very long time ago. But I will say to their credit too, though, I will just, you know, say, I do think it is hard to cast these shows because mm-hmm. even where I live in Orange County, I've had so many people say, I would be interested in doing the show, but I don't want to be on a show with X, Y, Z. So yeah. there is a segment of people that would be open to the idea. You have people that are like aggressively want to be on the show and they're not the right fit because they're going to be characters or car- caricatures, you know, like yeah. over the top. And then you have people that are kind of on the fence who are somewhat normal and could be interesting, but they're like, well, I don't want to be on a show if it includes those people. What is the cast or what are casting people and the producer supposed to do? They need to, are they going to get rid of a bunch of people that have all the audiences have built, you know, somewhat a relationship with that's like a hard decision to make. So I think it's complicated. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I think I, I certainly don't believe that there are people sitting in those offices like, let's just make it all white. Like, I don't think it's that's the cut and dry, of course. Yeah. Uh, but at least it's happening. So that's great. But I do think that the, the, that they do say, well, if it's working, let's just keep it working. Mm-hmm. But it's too much of a leap for them to understand. Well, you know, if you got somebody who is a professional in the hedge fund industry who happens to be Pakistani, or you have somebody who has a fashion line and they're Chinese, like it's actually going to elevate the show and you're going to actually like get a bigger audience. Sometimes I think networks are like, let's just make the audience that we have happy Mm -hmm. because it's working right now Mm -hmm. versus like expand our audience. Yeah. And shifted a little bit so it's a modern show well i'm actually i'm reading a book about the conan o'brien jay leno late night war that happened and it's so fascinating but i always forget stupidly perhaps that there is a whole middle section of this country that a lot of these networks have to cater to as well which which is what i think the bachelor maybe suffers from a little as well it's like Mm -hmm. well we have to keep them happy as well and unfortunately sometimes that means having a, a cast that maybe looks and thinks a certain way or avoiding certain subjects. And I think that maybe was part of it also because, you know, while there are many of us fans who are uh, from from bigger cities and we're sort of more liberal in our politics and socially liberal or whatever, there's also a huge contingent that is not. And you see that a lot play out. You see that play out a lot in Instagram comments, which we were talking before about Housewives fans. So there there are more people that they have to consider than just people sort of like us for lack of a better phrase but anyway all right this next thing i want to talk about is kim richards her book Mm -hmm. that was shelved and i'm so upset about this because of all the housewives books this one to me oh come on stop do you really think it's going to be well written oh i don't care about well written i don't mean about i just mean about. do you really think she's she's actually going to tell you anything she might i don't know because you know so just to catch everyone up on the story i actually i actually know the ghostwriter i'm telling you it was not going to be a good book you okay, would well, have that, you, that makes you, me feel you, better you should not lose sleep about it but i didn't been... sleep at all because of this last night How did you know? <laughs> well just to just to summarize the story real quick basically kim richards was set to release her explosive tell-all called the whole truth the reality of it all and she had received a three hundred thousand dollar advance to spill the secrets about her hollywood life as we all know, her family is this very storied Hollywood family. And Kyle, of course, got some hot water with her sister, 
or sisters. I don't know if I believe that number either. I don't believe she got a 300,000. 300, I don't believe that. I mean, mm-hmm. how many people actually sell books anymore? Are we under the assumption that people thought if you're going to get an advance of $300,000, the assumption would be that you're going to sell a million dollars worth of books, perhaps. Yeah. Do I'm we really s- believe that some executive at Simon and Schuster or wherever it was, was like, we're, we're going to sell a million, like we're going to make a million dollars off this book. Well, it's so interesting you say that because I know Margaret on Jersey has been talking about her book as well. And when that story came up, I was like, I kind of like what you just said. I was like, are people, are these housewives books doing the, enough business to warrant like them constantly getting book deals? And it seems like they're, every one of them has, has a book. I, I just don't know. I do, think, like a, I do yeah. think they're like, oh, we'll strike the iron while it's hot. Somebody's on TV right now. So they've got the marketing behind it because people are going to go to their accounts because they want to know what they're saying about this week's episode. But Kim Richards hasn't been on television a long time and people perceive her as a hot mess anyway. Right. Um, I do think there are too many reality TV books. Yeah, right. And they all get sort of lost in the, in, in the mess. I will say that Shep's book is very good. Oh, is it? Yeah, I did a nice interview with him. I he sent me his book. I actually really liked it. I think he's a really good writer. So he so that wasn't a ghost written. That was something that he did. He himself. wrote it. I'm telling you right now, if he writes fiction books, because this one was nonfiction, if he mm-hmm. wrote fiction books, he could be a Pat Conroy. Interesting. He's a really good writer. Well, that's good for him because yeah. you know these all these shows have their own sort of cycle expiration and expiration yeah. date exactly, and, so and that it's would be happening great. soon. I can tell you, like eh, it's our let's wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, you talking about Southern Charm specifically? Yeah, I think that's on its last legs for sure. Yeah, they unless they, unless you modernize it and you get a whole new cast, so you're gonna really show what Charleston looks like, which is more diverse than than they've really been portraying it to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting city. Um, how people talk about race in Charleston's changing. Mm-hmm. So that's a different city than it was when that show started, you know, seven years ago or whatever it was. I do think that show suffers from not having a committed main cast. It's just this kind of mm-hmm. sprawling, like, yeah. I don't know who's who's a main character, who's a friend of. And I think I sort of need to be oriented that way when I go into yeah. a show. Uh, and at some point they just cut the main title because they were like, well, we can't say that these, that this is the cast because we're also following Danny's stories as well. I don't know. It's just a very, mm-hmm. I, I wish they would kind of organize it a little better. So I just yeah, knew it's like very, saying. it's popcorn. It's like, what? Wait, wait, it's whack-a-mole. Like, where are we? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> right. And when the cast yeah. is all together, you're like, there are an awful lot of people here. Uh, and, and I don't know that they're all friends. I don't know that these people talk off camera and that that's makes the show suffer too. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to skip the next story because it actually has to do with Atlanta and we'll probably get into it anyway. So, okay, shall we talk Real Housewives of Atlanta? Yes. Right. So we're in a post-Bolo world and I, <laughs> I did feel in the couple of episodes after Bolo, we were struggling to find our footing and I was like, oh no, is the rest of the season just going to be Bolo-centric? And the last two episodes, the Halloween party last week, and last night's, I'm starting to really get back into it. Like the mm. episodes are starting to feel really well-rounded and everything. So uh, let's just, uh, I'm just going to take us through uh, our first act, which is uh, they're setting up the girls trip to New Orleans. And okay, this I found interesting. Did you notice that Brooklyn, Kenya's daughter is blurred now? She wasn't blurred earlier in the season. Well, that's when their uh, divorce started to heat up, right? And he right. was going to go for... Um palimony i mean mm-hmm. i think that's when things started to get really nasty and he was probably like you can't have our daughter on the show and i wonder she then was what in the- like in negotiations i think that 
this was probably a very difficult time for Kenya, given mm-hmm. what was going happen happening with Mark. It's unsettling to me watching scenes with her because I see a woman who is terrified of someone who lives in New York. She's raising her daughter every day in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And she's terrified of making the wrong move on television or upsetting him, even though they have not lived together a long time. And she's the predominant caretaking adult. Mm-hmm. And it just is, it makes me think about all of the other relationships in the country where someone is the predominant caretaker and then is walking on hot coals. And I, and then I read this, or I saw the story uh, where this woman said that when a parent files for primary custody um, with, with a, an, an abuse allegation, if it's a mother, that sometimes depending on the, the court that the father ends up getting full custody it's like the, it's like the wife's hysterical like mm. she, she can't you know she's she's not a reliable parent because she has these abuse allegations that oh it was an allen versus Farrell. they talked about it on hbo there's this assumption that the mother's lying and making it up mm-hmm. so i just think that's a very interesting and these are the reasons that i like to watch shows like housewives because it's the it's the deeper stories of the each woman's personal story and how they're an archetype for other groups of women and i i think kenya really if you take away the fighting it's an interesting window into a woman in the year 2021 who's desperately trying to figure out a way to keep her horrible ex-husband like not just happy but like off her back Mm -hmm. even though she's 50 years old she makes a great salary she's professional she's the predominant caretaker but he's still controlling her life that's what i'm watching when i watch that show and also it was it's really unsettling to see i mean we've all seen her when she's feeling her most confident and when she's really grounded we know what that kind of kenya looks like and when it comes to him it's a whole other person that she turns into because he has that kind of control over her like you're saying even from three thousand miles away it's ins- it's so insane to me. And so when I hear conversations she's having with the women, I'm looking through the conversations for the signs like, oh, this is code for something else. Mm-hmm. Or the way that she looks. It's like when she says, I don't have a village, it's deeper than that. Because mm-hmm. we know that she has cousins and an aunt that she really loves. She's saying, I am walking on a thin line every day to keep this crazy person off my back Mm -hmm. and so you i need you to understand that and support me because i'm 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 on a razor thin edge right now and so it's like as women and mothers and who have had maybe horrible relationships in the past please see me and understand where i'm coming from and support me that it's we're making an entertaining show and i'm Mm -hmm. part of that and we're entertaining but i'm also in a really bad position and i you guys know that because you're on a TV show, we're public figures, and I need your help. Mm-hmm. So that's what, those are the things I'm looking at. But I also think that, you know, these shows are about women. And I think a women, I'm, I'm looking through a female lens, like a, a mothering lens that, that's different than, you know, other people. 
Well, I think to your point, it was interesting when they landed in New Orleans and Drew kind of had that fun thing of like, I have these room keys and everyone's going to do a, a booty balance to figure out what room you're going to get. It was interesting to see Kenya was really on edge in that scene. I mean, it was probably mm-hmm. the fact that she she had her baby, so she was super stressed. The music was really loud and you know, those, those wonderful horns were super loud and she wanted them to kind of twerk in public. It's so, it was- Because Mark, we've seen Mark be very judgy. He right, judges her how- how she holds her daughter, mm-hmm. how she combs her hair, mm-hmm. the things she eats. When they FaceTime, he's telling her, why does her hair look like that? She doesn't like, I, lo- I don't like that outfit. Why are you feeding her? Even though this fucker lives in New York and mm-hmm. she's raising the daughter. So that translates to everything that Kenya's doing on screen. When she sees them acting uh, a certain way, she's looking at it as, Mar- I'm gonna hear this from Mark and his from his attorney. Mm-hmm. And from all the people in his orbit, that mm-hmm. I'm a, not a great mother, mm-hmm. even though she's the predominant caretaker. Right. It's like the it's specter crazy. of Mark just hangs over her, I guess, this entire season. Constantly. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so this this made me laugh. When Drew gave Cynthia the best room, it reminded me of when Luann was so upset that post, was it post-engagement or post-marriage that she didn't get the best room on a vacation? So this dumb. to me was like, I know, but this to me was like, the fantasy that Luann had, like Luann wanted to just be like handed this like massive room because she achieved getting engaged or whatever. But then you look at her life. Luann's. She was like a Connecticut, you know, suburban woman who became a nurse. Then she gets married to the count and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden she has access to this world where she's around all these wealthy people and her, her value was tied to being the countess connected to the count. Right. So when they get a divorce, she's with this real identity crisis because she's put a book out about manners by the mm-hmm. countess. And, and on top of that, she's like stunted now at the age of becoming a TV star additionally because now she gets attention for being this important person. So she expects everywhere she goes for her people to fuss over her. She just was a cabaret star you know whether or not like people believe that she's a real cabaret star is neither here nor there but it's like she's just like i'm a big fucking deal everywhere she goes that's the problem with a lot of it i don't think this is just the land's problem it's for all the housewives they've like lost their their way in the same way that you see a child actor they're stunted at the age they became famous i think the same thing happens with housewives where you're like you're not a movie star actually right and they don't see it any, they're like, no, I'm a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, and on on one hand it can make for entertaining television, but when, when the person doesn't necessarily evolve beyond that point, like we were saying about Ramona, for example, before it starts to feel a little tired. Totally. Uh, So I'm hoping this next season of New York is not that, I mean, I'm excited for it, but I am at the point where I'm like, okay, I need to start to feel something different here. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So they all check into their rooms and, uh, Kenya upgrades her room and she complains that Drew gave her the smallest room, which I, I think it was Portia that, that brought it up. Yeah. And those are also like layered stories. It's about the importance of the, whose value on the show is. So mm-hmm. it's not like I really want a window because I enjoy this, the smell of the salt, <laughs> yeah, right. salt in the air. It's like, I've been an OG. Mm-hmm. You need to be, it's like hazy, like you need to like thank me mm-hmm. I and mean, that happens on summer house those fight those fights are hannah's fighting with kyle but kyle's you know saying to her like you should thank me because you have a job mm-hmm. it's on my back 
that you even are were cast you were cast for the show for a show that i already created mm-hmm. with with my antics mm-hmm. like i walk so you could run like hello yeah yeah well i think, and especially I think that, that's a lot of it yeah. I think also on Housewives as well, it's not just like I've been here longer. It's also, what does that mean on a housewife show to have been there the longest? It means you have been putting your life out there for years right. and years, which is a big mm-hmm. concession, right? So in return, you would like to have the seniority and the bigger room and you would like to be given that respect. Do you um, like Drew, by the way? Are you enjoying her? Well, I interviewed her and I liked her mm. and she never promoted the episode. And then I wonder if it's because she lied in the episode. Oh, interesting. What did she lie about? Because I asked her what happened in with with the night in the Isle of Palm. Like, you know, what did you see? And she said, I went to bed early. I didn't see anything. I woke up and then everybody told me and I was like, what? And then I saw the episode. I'm like, okay, that was a total. So I don't know if that's why she, she was like, oh, I don't know if I want people to listen to that because I've just totally exaggerated what I, what really happened or what? I don't know. But then again, a lot of housewives don't promote the episode. So who knows? so weird i don't understand why you wouldn't do that you know why i think it's because a lot of the cast they come from like i try to be mindful of what what their prior professional career was Mm -hmm. so i worked in pr and media consulting so i know the value of sharing content Mm -hmm. for the value of what it does for my own show but it also helps my guests especially if they've come forward and told a really interesting story or they have something to promote but if you have a housewife who maybe never worked before, they were a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. it doesn't occur to them. Right. Or if they were an actor, their idea of press is like, you come to me, I tell you my story, you should be grateful for it. Right. It's not like a two-way relationship. It's one way. Right. Yeah, and I wonder also how much of it is this... Um, if there's like an insecurity about like, oh, what if I sound stupid or maybe, I don't like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, sure, yeah, that might happen too, yeah. Well, so now we have this great moment where Kenya joins everyone on the bikes, and she is like completely transformed and free and having a good time. And I think you know that's actually symptomatic of what you were saying before. I think you know I wonder how much of it was maybe did Mark send her a nice text or something because that kind of switch and that up and down. It mm-hmm. seems like it's something that's not in her own control. It seems like there's an outside right. force that's that's dictating to her, you did something good, so you get to be happy today. You know, like it just, mm-hmm. it, she just switched like that, which I thought was really interesting. This whole thing with Toya and Fallon, I know Fallon isn't on this trip, but mm-hmm. their dynamic, I find so, it's almost like there's a piece missing that we don't know about because there is so I much- I think they're competing for a job. Right, but I think, but wasn't, well, because- Atlanta, especially the side, the friends of, they actually often have the more interesting dynamics on Atlanta mm-hmm. itself. And I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but you're right. I mean, there is a sense of like trying to knock the other one down, but it seemed to have started from Toya's side, if I'm not mistaken, because she kind of fired that first shot about um, when they were at Portia's celebration, there was something about, um, you look like somebody who would, you know, date older men or something like that. It just sort of seemed to come come out of nowhere. And up until last week, they were still trading barbs. That was a news piece I skipped over before, where on the day, it was like a day before the reunion and Toya, LaToya posted a video of herself and she was like, I'm sick. And, you know, and then um, Fallon wrote to her, she's like, she's like, uh, you can relax, you can stop faking it. I'm not going to the reunion. And the next day she's like headed to the reunion on the plane. So it was really interesting. Um, and I think yeah. also 
Toya is probably feeling some of the backlash because people are sort of finding her to just be really arbitrarily nasty, you know, and it's not even fun. It's just really kind of, kind of gross. And so I just wonder if she, if, do you think that the way Toya is behaving comes from a place of wanting to become main cast or is there something we're not oh, seeing yeah. about her? No, it's always about that. It's always about that. Yeah. She's got a taste of being on the show and getting attention and like wants to remain in the spotlight and mm -hmm. that's competition. Mm -hmm. Fallon's gorgeous. She's got an interesting life. Mm -hmm. She um, is interesting to watch. It's always about that. Right. All of the fighting has to do with how much camera time they have, how interesting they are, which producer likes somebody better, who's getting right. paid more, who gets more opportunities, who gets more Instagram opportunities. It's all about that. You could actually do a reality show about behind the scenes of the cast of a show like this. It could just be a reality show of friends of, and then the person who does the best gets, you know, a main cast spot on the, on the actual show. <laughs> Uh, I always think it's interesting to watch these first season housewives or friends of, and to see like who's really good at the quote unquote housewifing. And I think where Latoya kind of falters is she's not really good at playing both sides. I mean, she tries, you know, she tries to be Kenya's friend and she tries to pass information to the other women, but they all kind of see through it. And so it seems like her MO is just to like throw the shade and throw the daggers, but it's that sort of, it's that political maneuvering that I think she still kind of needs a little finessing with, mm -hmm. uh, which is always interesting to watch. I thought it was interesting also when they're at that dinner and Toya's not drinking and they're kind of on her case for not drinking, she goes to the bathroom and sits back down and Kenya's like, what's wrong? Like, what, something is off about you. It's interesting that in the storytelling, they chose not to play an interview bite from Toya to get us inside her head, which I think would have really helped inform her side of things a lot. Then we have this scene at the dinner where Drew says, you came to my church. You said you didn't want to drink anymore. Did you find Drew to be, would you consider that shaming her or was that just, did you think that was that was fair for, for Drew to bring that up at the table? I think everything's kind of fair at this point. I right. mean, if you're gonna ch judge somebody what they do when the cameras leave uh, in a bedroom, I mean, why, why not just criticize everything else? I think that they, the boundary was crossed earlier in the season with Bolo and what happened after the cameras left. So I, like nothing shocks me anymore. Right. Yeah. And then Toy starts drumming on the table. I don't feel like it, bitch, about uh, about drinking. Uh, all right. She's, and then she's, she's just like really, really wants to get a spot. Because think about it. If you're in Atlanta and it's a pandemic and production's been halted on tv shows commercials etc mm -hmm. i mean i think people got really skittish like i don't know how long this pandemic's gonna last mm -hmm. and i think you know the opportunity to be on a show as big as real houses of atlanta and the opportunities that come with it people get really eager for camera time and she's in the midst of a divorce right latoya Is that i right? think so so maybe it's that that's another thing like well this is something for myself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I just feel like there always is like a backstory to a lot of it. I know, yeah, and I'm always so, I'm a, you can tell, you know, Shaws of Sunset is one of those shows where I always feel like there's something missing. Like there's something we're not hearing I just about. Feel like, I feel like they always fight about their position of power on the show too. Right, Shaws, I, what I love about Shaws, if you watch, if you look at each reunion, 
the alliances change so hard every reunion. One season, mm-hmm. Reza and MJ are best friends. The next season, they're going at each other. Then it's Mike versus Reza. The shakeups in that friend circle specifically, I find, I find a little, it's a little unnerving because they're so nasty on that show. But they're nasty. They're yeah. very mean. Yeah. I had, um, I had, I got a DM from Adam. Reza's mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and he sent me paragraphs of just like a defense of that whole fight with the pot breaking and the the stuff with MJ's with Tommy and he's like you know I have evidence if you want to I can give it to you and I'm like I don't want to get involved really in any of this but that's so yeah I never get stuff like that yeah I uh, and I'm not even like a you know especially then I was not even I'm not like a big time you know whatever but it was interesting and it was like anybody who who would listen he wanted yeah. to give uh, evidence and stuff too. And I even had a conversation with MJ as well. And then I said, well, you know, if you want to come on the podcast, she's like, that'd be great. I would love to. She, she started talking about her uncle, like really personal stuff. And then I just never heard from her again. It was, yeah. it's a very, it's a very interesting cast anyway. So, all right. So then they go to this, um, this dance class and Cynthia and Drew are going to do an iHeart radio interview. Okay. Now this whole story comes up of Portia and Marlo and Kenya and how, you know, Marlo and Kenya are now best friends or very close. And Portia finds that very unsettling because she considers Marlo to be a close friend. Uh, do you, do you enjoy Marlo on the show? I love Marlo yeah. and I think she's a great person. She's one of my favorite guests I've ever had. Oh, great. She's like a really good person. Um, and I find her to be wise and funny and very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I heard Andy recently say, so my impression was always that, and maybe you've heard differently from her, is that she was the one who didn't want the peach, so to speak, and she's fine with the balance of her own life. That's right. That's right. What's interesting is Andy said, and Andy didn't deny that, he said recently in an interview that it's an ongoing conversation about about having her main cast. She's just worried about how much time it's going to take, and there are things that are really private and special to her like her relationship with her nephews she's actually she said i'm actually a very sensitive person she's like i don't know if i have the thick thick enough skin to withstand being like a cast full-time cast member and i think maybe you're not right for the show if you're that self-aware to know that right but at the same time she's really been in the thick of it multiple times i just wonder how much Mm -hmm how much more taxing it could possibly be to just be upgraded to, to full time. I mean, well, it's a lot more it. filming time. It's a lot more filming time. That's true. Uh, and she's raising nephews now. So she doesn't really have as much time as she used to have, but right. it's a lot of it. It's emotionally taxing. You know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, also when you're a full-time cast member, you're opening yourself to a lot more vitriol from people and mm-hmm. people assessing who you are and your past. Digging up your past, and, yep, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, people are like, I don't really know if that's something I want to have. So they can like, they like to tip, you know, Tanya is the same where she's a very full business life, very mm-hmm. full. And she can't fully commit to being a full cast member because she just has too much going on with work. We are asking people to be available at a moment's notice and for long periods of time. And in order to have a business or to have a family, that's a very big decision to make because the business and the family will suffer because of the commitment. Mm-hmm. I know. And that's why, you know, when you see Tiffany's story, I love Tiffany on Dallas, but, you know, it's so interesting that she chose to come on the show when her main issue is the balance well, that- between. That's, that's one housewife where I just totally relate to her because I, 
she w- and she said this on my show. I was afraid that my my job would judge me if I couldn't do it all. And we as women, especially women, women with children are terrified of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, I was a media consultant for global law firms. Do you know, I've never taken one day of maternity leave. Wow. I have never told people that I'm pregnant with the fear of being let go because pregnancy discrimination is a real thing. You can look at EEOC statistics. It's a real thing. So she is at the top of her game working in a hospital and it, and she's a minority. Mm-hmm. She's a woman and a minority. And she did not want anybody at her job to say, well, now you're going to try to become a TV star. You're no longer good at your job and we're going to have to let you go. So for that, you see her stressed out on on camera because she's managing a full-time job in a global pandemic, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. She's managing becoming a television star with filming, having two little girls, nurturing a relationship with not only her husband, but her parents who are older in a global pandemic, all on camera. Then you add to it that she's the only Asian cast member in that series. And, and they're having very tax, emotionally taxing conversations about race. But I'm like, I know what that feels like when you have, you're pregnant or you have a newborn or you have little kids and you're terrified. You don't want to make people like, I almost never complain because I don't want to give people reason to go, well, she can't do her job. That is the most honest portrayal of what it's like to be a working mother in the year 2021 is the story that Tiffany is telling people. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I also think uh, just from my perspective too, from my experience, I, what I love about her is how honest she is about, you know, there is a thing in Asian households, Indian households as well, where you're pushed to focus on schoolwork and achieving so much so that you just skip out a good 10 years of developmental, social, all of that stuff. And I love that she's telling that story as well. I do hope she comes back. She said recently, I've been reading that she might not, but I would love, I mean, it's, she's so important, I think, to Mm-hmm. To, house, to the housewives world. Well, just to wrap up Atlanta. So this whole business with uh, Portia and Marlo, I, it does make me nervous that I actually forgot that Kenya and Marlo had a friendship. Like so much has gone on since that friendship yeah. that I forgot that they had that. So I don't know. I don't know where uh, Kenya and Marlo stand today. It, I feel like it's always kind of dicey to be friends with Kenya in this, in this scenario because she expects like loyalty is such a major thing for her. And the way Teresa has that on Jersey where it's like blind loyalty. If you're my friend, you stand up for me no matter what, which I always feel like is a little. I think what she needs to to hear from somebody is I'm not, I'm not always going to agree with you, Mm -hmm. but I understand this, the pressures that you're under with Mark and I support you as a mother. But if you want me to be a real friend, I'm going to support you, but I'm also going to tell you how I feel. And if those circumstances, if, if those parameters don't work for you, then we that's not a reciprocal relationship. It's just not. Yeah, I know. I would be curious to see how she would respond to someone being that upfront with her about it. And maybe she would agree to it. And then when it comes down to it, I don't know that she would be able to. I think she just it. wants somebody to acknowledge your ex-husband is, an, is a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the pressure you have is enormous. And yeah. I feel, excuse me, excuse me, I think that she gets frustrated because she feels like they all look past that. But what she doesn't understand is like, I think that they understand it, but the other stuff clouds their empathy for her. 
Yeah, it's been a history of what they would perceive as a lot of sort of like digs and slights and whatever. From yeah, so Kenya. they're like, I understand, but I don't care enough because you've also, you know, dug a hole and pushed me into it. Right, there hasn't been enough. She hasn't built up enough goodwill mm-hmm. amongst the women, I think, to really, I guess, merit the. That's why when she said that she needs a village, and I'm so glad you brought that perspective of she's saying a lot more than just that, but it was sort of hard to, you know, would she rally that way around a fellow castmate that maybe she had past issues with? I, I don't know. I don't want to say she wouldn't, but I'm not, I also not so sure that she would rush to someone's aid if she had um, sort of bad blood with them. So I'm yeah. not sure. So, all right. So that's where we're at with Atlanta. I mean, we're almost out of time. So let's just do one quick question I have for Jersey for you. How okay. do you feel about Teresa versus Jackie? after this last episode i just think they're totally different people and that if it were not for the show they would never be friends if they're both mothers at the same middle school there's no way in hell they would have one thing to talk about so it's kind of annoying to watch it because i'm like these two would never be friends this is ridiculous yeah it's hard it's hard to watch yeah jackie cerebral she comes from wealth um you know, she had has a law degree and then was a writer. Teresa is working class. She was re- she was in charge of her parents. That's like a huge responsibility. Whereas she looks at Jackie, it's like you've come from wealth and I have all this privilege, but I've been working my butt off to pay off debts and all of this stuff. And I had to take care of my parents. She doesn't have a college education. Um, they just, they look at the world in a totally different way and yeah. they would never be real friends. That's the problem. Do you find Jackie's uh, to be a little sort of, there's something about Jackie that feels like she knows the show. She knew, to, you know, she knew of Teresa before the show. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of, to me, she came in guns blazing to go after the star of the show to build her, to build a story. Certainly I don't, I, you know, I don't agree with that. Mm. I think that when you're an educated woman and you're on a show and you refuse to dumb yourself down for conversations. Yeah. I think she was like, I am who I am. I'm, I've built a big, a life for myself. I value education and professionalism and I'm not going to change who I am to fit into this puzzle. Mm -hmm. So there's a clash of an old guard and new guard of two people who have totally different ways of looking at the world. And there's this frustration, I think, that she, J- Jackie feels like, do I have a place on the show or is the show always going to be catered to Teresa's perspective? Mm-hmm. And that is the problem, I think, that lives within the show. Mm-hmm. And I think it trickles out when you watch the viewer, as a viewer, because you're like trying to figure out what their connection is to each other. Um, and and it's like, you can kind of understand why Margaret would be friends with Teresa or why Jennifer would be friends with Margaret and Teresa. But you know, in not in hell, <laughs> like would those two be friends? So when they're fighting, it's like, someone's got to go. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I know Jersey's had the most interesting cast shakeups. It was all family at first. And then they did that season with the twins and uh, Amber which, and then Teresa went to prison. So then that got a break. And so now I think they, you know, Jackie aside, I do think they figured out the right combination of kind of keeping it in family. Melissa is someone who I'm, I'm sort of like having trouble mm-hmm. grasping her well, role Well, I just on the show. feel like, you know, I know these, there's stories, 
Yeah. I knew Vicki Gumbelson's story two seasons and I was like, I got enough. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. I, yeah. We're, we're fine. I, I, I got it. I know who she is as a person, as a mm-hmm. viewer, you're like, you want to feel like each season, like you're peeling back the layer of the onion. Like I didn't see that coming. Like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Because in the, in the best unscripted television is always like, you're thinking about that person and then about yourself and like who you are in the world and how they fit into the world. And you're hopefully evolving in some sort of way because you're looking through the lens, your own lens into someone else's pocket of the world. Um, And when somebody continues to show up every season and they don't change and they don't offer interesting or value perspective, the audience gets like very um, fatigued. 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 Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And Melissa seems like a really nice person, but we're kind of, you know, we've she's, done- She seems like a lovely person, but yeah. do I need to hear her story about, and I and I think that then, then when you get bored and fatigued, mm-hmm. then you start to be hypercritical. Right. So then you're like, do I like that in the year 2021 that he's a misogynistic husband that is hypersexual about yeah. his child, his wife, but then seems to be oppressing his child? Like that's, as a woman, I'm looking at that. I'm like, do I need to know that here that you're going to go have sex with your wife, you know, and like hitting her butt and talking about her legs and how her vagina feels. Mm. And then you're like, my daughter's not going to date till she's 35 and don't wear that. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel like we could keep going and going, but I believe (laughs) we're out of time. This has been awesome. I've learned, I feel like I've learned a lot from you. Um, what do you have? Any fun projects coming up? Anything cool you can tease for us? Um, I have so many great upcoming episodes. I have TV projects I'm working on and I can, oh, every week I tell you what to watch. So I've actually Mm -hmm. have to put that out today. I put, I have a Substack. So go kcsubstackcom And every Monday you'll get an email about what to watch this week. And it really is all different networks and different subjects. Great. Um, like in my list, again, I'm going to put Tina on HBO, which I thought was just so freaking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I'm going to have Q into the storm, which is about the QAnon um, phenomenon, which is perplexing to say the least. But then I'll also have sports ones and then I'll have somebody, something from Bravo sometimes. So it, it, it runs the different gamut and it's, there's something for everybody and nothing makes me happier than when a couple writes me and says, my husband, my wife, my partner, my roommate, my brother, my dad, and I are looking for something to watch. And then they write me back and say, we watch it together. We can't wait till the next episode. Like that makes me feel great. Or I would have never watched that if you had not suggested it. Right. To find that sweet spot that brings people together yeah. is, uh, I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, cool thing that you have. I mean, you are the kingmaker we discussed before. I mean, you, <laughs> you put Southern charm on the map for people who had probably never heard of it outside of, you know, outside of the Bravo world. So, well, Kate, thank you so much for your time. Kate Casey, everyone, you all know her. Uh, Reality Life is the podcast. Many more fun things to come, sounds like. Thanks yeah. so much, Kate. Thank you. And you all know you can find me at... Uh, What's my show called? Oh yeah, uh, Reality <laughs> Tonight on Instagram, Twitter, po- uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, all right, that's all I got. Thanks guys, we'll talk soon. Bye.